The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, good morning, or good afternoon. Some of you, some of you know what time it is, so <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll have an influx at two o'clock. <laughs> so, we'll see. Uh, so uh, today, welcome to our Eightfold Path session on wise effort, and I'm joined today by Maria Stratman, my dear friend and longtime partner in something around here. I don't mean partner, I mean friend, but we do things together. We do the Eightfold Path together, we do the online course together, we've been sharing things around here for a long time. So Maria is a retired scientist and businesswoman, and she's studied with Gil since 1996. She coordinates the online courses along with me. She's on the chaplaincy council, and she's a spirit rock Buddhist ritual minister. So very fortunate to have her with us today on the subject of effort. So um, oh, a couple of announcements. I guess you may remember that we're having a little tea afterwards, some snacks, so hopefully we can stay and get to know each other a little bit. And also, I want to mention that the final event of this course is a day-long retreat at the Retreat Center on June 20th. So I hope you saw that when you first signed up. And uh, pretty soon, in a week or two, you'll be getting an email through the regular emailing program that gives you a link to register if you can come to that retreat. And it should be a very nice day. We'll do some sitting and walking and some talking and studying and, you know, kind of like an extended one of these with a little bit more sitting and walking. And IRC will provide lunch and it should be a very nice day. It's a little loud. Is it okay? Is it a little loud? It's okay. All right. Okay. So, with the beginning of studying right effort, we're moving into the last of the three parts of the path. We had wisdom and ethics, and now mental cultivation. It's the third, the three factors of effort, mindfulness, and concentration. So, I hope that these last three factors, I always feel that they're both, motiv- they're both supported by the earlier factors and they're motivated by the earlier factors. So we worked with the path factors so far, and we've seen, you know, we've seen what happens to our internal state when we speak or act unwisely, right? We've seen a little bit that, oh, gee, I really believe that this is the best way to get ahead in the world or that I need to do this. And maybe you can see that that's not so wise, but it's a long way from uprooted and completely transformed, right? So we've kind of seen how both the rewards and the challenges of actually undertaking to be more careful and aware in how we act with people and how we are and how, what we're doing in the world. So um, we can really start to look at what kind of effort, we probably have a sense already of what kind of effort is needed to further you know, deepen our practice of ethics and our wisdom. And I bet we have the sense that, wow, I just need to slow down and stop and look at this and investigate this some more and calm down and see what's going on, right? And so that's kind of the direction of the path into these third factors. We've calmed down to some degree. We're we're looking at our, you know, ideally you've, you know, looked at your gross... uh, you know, probably you didn't come in with that much of that, but, you know, it's hard to settle the mind if you're still out there killing and stealing and, 
you know, as, we, as we've mentioned. And so presuming that you've kind of worked with that to the point where you can stand yourself enough to sit down for a few minutes. But you still see there's a lot of work to do, right? So we move into this part of the path where we're really motivated to undertake understanding what's going on with ourselves and, and taking a closer look. And, of course, don't forget that the path is a spiral, and it's not really linear. We're always working on everything and different scales of time and at the same time. So as we get through this third section, as we study effort and mindfulness and concentration, the idea is that then when we really have a very steady, still mind that's awake and watching what's happening, then we can really deeply see into the non-wisdom of grasping and clinging and fighting with things and we really bodily experience the happiness and joy of letting go. And we begin to trust that more and we begin to see, oh, we don't need to rely on our old defensive strategies for happiness and security. We have this new way. And as we see that, then we have more, it changes our view, right? And we have more wisdom and a deeper view and that produces better intentions, more ethical satisfying behavior and so forth okay so uh, with that introduction Maria is going to lead us in a guided sit I am going to give you the microphone thank you I'm I'm experimenting putting this on my right ear. I just realized I never put this on my right ear. How interesting. So, welcome to this afternoon. We're going to sit. I invite you to take a comfortable but alert posture and settle in. Take a couple of deep breaths and let them out. All of the effort that it took to get here all of the things you had to do, they're done. You're here. So just settle in. Allow yourself to relax. even relaxing. Just let it go. Find your breath. 
Just discover it. It doesn't have to do anything. It knows how to breathe. Soften. Notice those creases around your eyes, that little soft area around your eyes. And if it's possible, let it soften a little more. Open your teeth. Check the edges of your mouth. Let them turn up just a little. Be slightly amused. Ah. Check your shoulders. Are they down? Are they up? Soften. Soften.
notice any tightness in your chest. It's okay. You're totally safe right here now. You can let go. Let everything be just the way it is. Are you here in the room? Let the mind be in the room with you. Notice if it's busy. Let it be okay. Just be here.
Notice what you're aware of. (coughs) Know that you know. What is the quality of the energy in your body right now? Is it low? Is it agitated? Just notice. If it's agitated, Can you let that be okay? Does it help to take a deep breath and let it out? Or maybe you're drowsy. Maybe you need to just straighten the spine ever so softly, just a little lift and settle. Just to be here. 
befriend yourself. What is ever true, let it be true. Soften the attitude. This is what's true. I'm here. The mind is here. The body is here. The heart is here. That's all. Before we move on, notice whatever stillness there may be here. Notice how the body feels into that. Notice how the mind feels into that. Notice the stillness. Remember the stillness. And when you're ready, gently, Open your eyes. Harsh. That was harsh. My apologies. (laughs) Effort is tricky. (laughs) Effort is tricky.
So, uh, thinking back on when I started this, I, I wouldn't have said I was coming to make some more effort. I felt like I was, you know, coming to rest and relax, and I was tired of making effort. So, how do we understand? It's been a, a long process for me, actually, coming to appreciate how to make the right kind of effort, you know. And as I practice, uh, it becomes more and more available to me to really appreciate and enjoy making a skillful effort. So, what comes to mind when you think about effort, when we think about making effort, it's probably something to do with what the Buddha called the eight worldly winds. You know, there's praise and blame, success and failure, uh, what, status and high status and ill repute, or some fame and ill repute, and uh, I'm spacing out on it. Success and failure. Gain and loss. Anyway, trying to manipulate uh, the factors in the external world to get them all lined up to be the way that we think they should be, right? That's what we put effort into. And part of the heart of the Buddhist understanding is that that's not, in the long term, possible and fruitful, and it's exhausting. And so, you know, it's possible now and then at, at a great expense of effort, but it's not reliable. And so we're used to effort, making effort in a way that's actually exhausting and often frustrating. Um, it's easy to lose sight when we're so focused on the end of what we want to get to happen, we lose sight of the means of how we're doing it and what effect it's having on us. So it's so easy to find yourself trying so hard to get something to happen and not even noticing that you become completely tense, you know, completely blocked from the whole rest of your body. So you're really not, and then you're likely to speak from that place and it's likely to be less effective what you're trying to do. So the Buddha teaches that it's really much more fruitful to pay attention, first of all, to our inner state of heart and mind and attend to our relationship to what's happening then then let our actions spring from that with much better results. So really this factor of right effort is about turning to take care of our inner life, to realize that the quality of our inner life is really what's going to determine whether we suffer or not from what's going on in the external world. Um, I like to read this quote from uh, Thoreau, who's one of my favorite people. He says, I know of no more encouraging fact than the unquestionable ability of man to elevate his life by a conscious endeavor. It is something to be able to paint a particular picture or to carve a statue and to make a few beautiful objects. But it is far more glorious to carve and paint the very atmosphere and medium through which we look, which morally we can do. To affect the quality of the day is the highest of arts. Right? So, do you, do you believe this? It's really a leap of trust to turn away from getting all the ducks lined up to looking inside ourselves and finding peace of mind with ducks doing what ducks do, right? It's different. It's a whole different attitude. So this is the factor of wise effort. The specific meaning in the Buddhist teachings of this term was beautifully summarized by Sayadaw Tejaniya, who's a Burmese teacher, especially of Andrea Fella, and someone that I've appreciated a lot recently. I get daily mailing of his little pearls of wisdom. And this came the other day. Why does a wholesome mind arise? Why does an unwholesome mind arise? What is this wholesome or unwholesome mind? 
Why does a wholesome mind increase? Why does an unwholesome mind grow? Why does a wholesome mind decrease or fade away? Why does an unwholesome mind fade away? This is your field of research. I really love that. Uh, Maybe I've always kind of wanted to be a scientist, but didn't want to go to school, you know. So here I have a complete built-in laboratory for, this is my field of research. What's the deal with these unwholesome, unhelpful states of mind and not? You have everything you need built in to explore this question, all these questions. So this distinction between uh, what Tejani is calling wholesome and unwholesome, is how it's usually translated, that's the gist of right effort. That comes from two Pali words, kusala and akusala. And there's a di- it's interesting to look at what those mean. It's very helpful in understanding this. They're often translated as skillful. So you'll see the words unskillful and skillful used a lot. And that's a beautiful way of understanding this. It's very pragmatic. It's non-judgmental. It's not about good and bad. It's like, is this getting you where you want to be going or not? Is it skillful or not? It's helpful in using our effort in a way that's compassionate but it doesn't and effective but it doesn't reinforce a sense of self it's more objective it's also helpful in holding all the vast array of teachings that might seem contradictory sometimes one of uh, I think it's Ajahn Chah tells a story about you know people accuse me him of being contradictory but he's just trying to help people where he sees they're at so he sees someone going to the, off the left side of the road he says go right, go right and he sees someone going off the right side he says go left, go left and it's not really meant to be a contradiction it's meant to be advice for balancing what's going on I also think of um, learning learning a skill you know it requires patience there are plateaus where nothing much seems to be happening you know maybe you've learned something like a, a musical instrument or a sport or a language or something that's kind of a long term effort you know there's there's ups and downs and along the way I also think it's often used this kusala in terms of target practice so hitting the mark is sometimes translated hitting the mark and I like that it's not so specific like there's a mark and you're going to hit it but there's that feeling that I imagine you know there's a whole Zen thing around archery you really need to be in a state of relaxed alignment you know so you're not you can shoot the arrow in a way that comes from a complete alignment of your heart your mind and your body and in that stance there's a kind of ease you know that just lets the thing let it fly so then I also like the translation of wholesome because to me it's really the holistic sense of total integrity and balance that is what we mean you know that's what we can kind of sense into when we're making right effort it's not all in the body all tensed up it's not blocking out the body and the mind all tied in knots it's something that's uh, holistic and it takes into account the fact that our happiness is interdependent with other people's and with the whole health of the planet and everything. It's, it's, all, it's a very holistic view. And it's a really important and beautiful part of this that we, effort itself is something that we keep examining. So we're not just making effort in order to do something else, but we're also learning what wise effort is, and we keep checking in. Am I over-efforting, or have I spaced out and fallen asleep and lost track of what's going on? There's a couple of um, sutta passages that are kind of classics for describing effort. One is uh, Sona, the lute player, which has given his name to our local ukulele group. Um, But (laughs) anyway, Sona uh, was a lute player, and he was trying so hard that he was about to give up. 
And so the Buddha called him in and said, you know, when the strings are too tight, does it make a good sound? No. When the strings are too loose, does it make a good sound? No. And so the advice was to just tune your faculties, your attention, your relaxation, your effort, tune your faculties, and then take up your theme. You know, take up your musical theme. So take up the theme of your breath or of, you know, intending to be speak kindly or whatever it is from a place that's properly tuned. And the other teaching is about uh, crossing the flood. So this is a metaphor. Crossing the flood is a common metaphor for what we're up against in this practice. And it feels like that when there's a flood of emotionality, a flood of memories, a flood of some our reactivity to something unpleasant. How do we cross that skillfully? So some, uh, some diva came and uh, uh, one of the sort of Buddhist angel characters came and asked the Buddha, how did he cross the flood? I crossed the flood without pushing forward and without staying in place. When I pushed forward, I was whirled about. When I stayed in place, I sank. And so I crossed over the flood without pushing forward, without staying in place. You know, so if we understand thinking for the moment of our meditation time we sit, if we understand it as like collapsing, you know, exactly like flopping down on the couch and going blank, that's like sinking. So it may be very relaxing, but you're not learning anything from it except that, you know, going dark kind of feels good and safe and relaxing. So that's sinking mind when you really don't know what's going on. We can have a very pleasant sit at the end of it and can't remember a thing about it. You know, really necessarily haven't learned all that much. But then when we, when we push, we're trying to manipulate, trying to make something happen, we're struggling with our experience, then we just get thrashed about. It stirs up the wrong kind of energy and effort. It's exhausting and frustrating, right? So finding that middle ground is how we work our way across the flood. So in his typically thorough but common sense, but a little bit, you know, list-like way of teaching, the Buddha breaks down effort into four efforts, which is common sense because what we're trying to do is kind of dial down the unwholesome states of mind and dial up the wholesome states of mind. So there is preventing unwholesome states that haven't, that aren't there. If If nothing bad is happening, good. You don't want to stir it up. If some unwholesome state is present, then you want to overcome it and, you know, learn how to skillfully work through it. We want to cultivate and bring up pleasant states that may not be happening yet. And if a pleasant state is happening, a wholesome state, I mean, a wholesome, not necessarily always, well, they are pleasant, but anyway, a wholesome state of mind, then we want to maintain it, you know, not let it fade away. It comes back to that, beautiful paraphrase by Tejaniya. So I'm going to speak a little bit about the first two and then Maria is going to give some more views, I think, on effort in general and touch on the last two. Is that our plan? (laughs) Okay. So um, in terms of preventing unwholesome states of mind that have not arisen yet, you'll be looking at that some this month. It's really more to do with this field of research. That's where you can really say, okay, what is it? When, what are my areas of temptation? What are my triggers? And you can get to know, you know, what situations get us into trouble. I know that my dietary intentions go better if I don't go to the grocery store when I'm hungry. 
I come home with a bunch of deli stuff, you know. And if I go when I'm thirsty, I come home with all fruit and nothing else. And, you know, so I've learned... That's just a small example. Um, and, you know, I know that looking at certain... Following certain internet, you know, clickbait, it leads to rage. And, <laughs> and pointlessly, it's not like I'm going to do something about, you know some other part of the world so it just it's just stirring up anger for no reason so you can see what you don't need to do because it leads to unwholesome mind states there's a practice that's mentioned often in the suttas called guarding the sense doors and this really means to be it's it's quite interesting when you first see this happening it means to really know what sense you're on are you seeing something are you hearing it are you smelling it and if you're aware of it as it happens, it's much less likely to jump right into whatever you normally do with that. So it's quite, I, I really experience this most clearly on a longer retreat. When I'm on a retreat, I'm really so slowed down that I'm able to see, okay, you know, I'm smelling the food from lunch as I'm sitting in the 11 o'clock sitting or something, and recognize that that smelling is coming. And I'm also aware at the same time that I'm feeling a pleasant sense of being not too full and not too, you know, not, not particularly hungry. And so I recognize those things. And then when I go down to the line, seeing the food. And if you know in that moment that you're seeing, it's much less likely that you'll just be hijacked to taking more than you want. I've had interesting experiences of walking through a store when I really was aware, seeing all these, you know, Best Buy or whatever those electronic stores are. I could want one of each, you know, but seeing, seeing, seeing. It really helps you catch that habit of zeroing in on the one cool advertised feature and completely tuning out the fact that you already have three of these and you don't need any more. And, you know, or, or you can see the one irritating thing about a person and then just write them off. You know, if you really notice what's coming in. And this is a relatively painless practice because if you can, you know, catch it before it gets started, it's much easier than if, uh, if you wait until it's going. However, mostly we don't really catch these unwholesome states until they really are, we're quite carried away with them and they're beginning to break through our barrier of noticing what suffering is, right? And then we're in the work of overcoming this is the point, really, for me, you know, for many years here, where it's really been the skillfulness of effort is so important. You know, how do you work with these unpleasant states? Sometimes the wisdom regarding the situation is fairly clear, it's fairly owned, you've seen it, it's your wisdom. So, I, you know, if you just have the habit of, in your mind, making up arguments with people who aren't there, or, you know, running people down for this and that and you've seen this and seen this and you know that that's not good some it's something you can just very strongly cut through this you know you can say cut it out and you're coming from your own real wisdom that this is not worth doing and it may take some really strong effort you know you may have to just stand there and no I'm not going to do this and that's quite worth it because it's not really reinforcing self-hatred or anything you're coming from a sense of strength that no I know for myself that this is a silly habit and I'm going to cut it out but in some situations uh, our wisdom really hasn't seen through what all the factors are that are in play here and we're very caught up in the conflict we're, we're, we're the should voices say are they're perceived as coming from some need to 
placate external authorities and conditions and be a good girl or you know something like that and the want to urges they're deeply believed to be the best way through this situation you know so I want to but I shouldn't or you know oh I should but I don't want to and you so often catch yourself in this ping pong match in the mind where you're just going back and forth and back and forth and I see this in terms of that flood teaching as the as a kind of thrashing and really you're just wholly identifying with both sides of that argument back and forth and back and forth without really stepping back and saying okay these are two impersonal forces in the mind that have different histories are coming from different needs and different points of view and you're really able to kind of rise above it and see what's going on compassionately from that investigative research perspective you know where you're really feeling it but not not you know you're you're curious what is this okay you have to stop you have to slow down what is it to want to do this thing and what where is this don't do it coming from is that you know just your mother shaking a finger at you or is there something that you'd more deeply than that understand for yourself about why not to do it you know and you can really feel feel into both sides and give both sides space so you could say that we're at a point here in the path where we recognize that what we need to do is cultivate new ways of working with these deeper layers of the mind because just you know criticizing yourself hasn't worked right and so we need to really understand what's the deal here and so we're going to slow down and we're going to allow some of these apparent inner conflicts to really be felt through and really be allowed to unwind there's a lot of trust that this thrashing around and self-hatred and criticizing and all that is actually winding them up and that their natural course is to unwind and a, a great trust that seeing when we're seeing something we're seeing something that's true something that had a good reason for having been a strategy in the past but that we've got better information now we're older we understand things more so we can have compassion for that old self of ours that thought that was the way to do it but we can also let in more light on the situation and really trust that if you see it carefully you'll see what was involved in there and at the same time through the factors of mindfulness and concentration we're learning more skillful ways to meet those needs and so the next two factors work together with wise effort as the guiding principle behind what we're doing when we do mindfulness and concentration practice Okie doke. Gosh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so it's uh, breakout group time. And let's get in groups of four or so. And let's do the thing where we go around and each person says something, but don't tell the whole life story. Something enough time so that there's time for two or three go-arounds in 15 minutes. And then you listen to the other people and see what that triggers for you. And then you get a second chance to add something. That format that we've used. So we'll go around for about 15 minutes. So let's get in groups of four as much as possible. And then I'll tell you the question. Okay. So here is the question. What have you already learned 
or seen or begin to suspect or something about what would be wise what are wise efforts things that actually help in either preventing or working through unwholesome states of mind so what have you already learned about this or experienced about what really helps you what is wise effort in preventing or working through whatever comes to your mind unwholesome states of mind okay either in this program or earlier in your life or something to get a microphone you have one okay who would like to share a little bit about something that was said that struck you yes we had is this on we had a commonality is that when we first heard uh, saw our thoughts we felt them in our body and if we paid attention to the emotion and the effect on our bodies uh, we tended to be be able to um, transition into a more wholesome hmm. understanding. Beautiful. Great. Anything else? Yeah. Cool. In our group, we talked about a couple of things, but one element I just wanted to bring out was just that every situation seems to be different. You know, finding the the middle point between too much effort and too little effort. You know, I think you said, you know, standing still or... or. Mm -hmm. So, and we talked about different examples and... Someone observed that uh, she looks for a rule, but there probably isn't a general rule which is applicable in every case. Yeah, yeah. thank you. That's so true. I sort of, you know, has it, in talking about this, it's all, you know, I've got to say something, but that is so true that there isn't a specific rule. Mm. You really have to feel your way, you know, and every moment, conditions, a unique set of conditions is coming together for what, you know, we're. Where is the contact, staying in contact with it, you know, somehow, but not pushing and struggling and not turning away? What does that mean in each moment is so different? Yeah, thank you. Anything else? Judy. 
This is just a little process question. When we're in small groups and you ring the bell, I'd appreciate it if you'd say you have one more minute. Because it really cut off at the beginning of something oh, for us. Okay. So then then we can talk faster. Okay. Whatever. Thank you. <laughs> okay. Sorry. I thought I gave a two-minute warning, but I didn't do it with the mic, so maybe it got missed. I, I regave it with the mic. There was a oh, okay. lot of enthusiasm in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. Yeah. Are there any... Well, our group had one uh, said, what have we learned and experienced to work through this? One thing we learned about it was to, one person mentioned, like, be like a log. And the idea of that is to take a pause and, and see when you, the situation starts to grow. I feel that sometimes at work, that if I sit there and I get annoyed with somebody, I sit there and stew. And I feel I have to do something, and one of the biggest things is to get off the burner and maybe uh-huh. get up, walk away, do something. Yeah. Or if it's even some person that I have an issue with, I'll even take the effort to go over and talk with them mm-hmm. with a kind of right mindfulness so that I kind of diffuse the situation before it gets out of hand. Mm-hmm. And once I've done that, I've cracked the wall, yeah. and I really don't feel right about thinking about that person in the wrong way anymore because I've related to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Right. Someone else here? Two more. Uh, just to quickly share, in our group, um, I felt like things kind of fell into a few themes of like investigation, intention setting, and gaining some sense of perspective by stepping back. This was somewhat related to your comment that um, in our group we talked about how it was, though we felt sometimes unwholesome states arising when interacting, that it was much harder to midstream in a conversation, uh, even if it was noticed, to uh, make a change. And a lot of times it took till after the conversation was over um, and then setting it. Uh, different intention for next time, but yeah. then during the actual interaction, that was more difficult. Yes, that's very true, and that's a lot of the way progress happens here. Is you know, well, may it be better next time. <laughs> you know, we've learned something from it, and uh, yeah. I just feel I, I hope this isn't something you were. I mean, you probably are. There's many ways to say it, but pro- progress in insight is really not something that we do directly, you know. So it's not a matter of getting just the right effort lined up to make enlightenment happen or something. I mean, it's, you know, we're learning, we're seeing, we're taking in, and that in us which learns and changes things is some mechanism that's not directly, you know, it's not a push the button and that happens. So there's a lot of trust involved in that if I'm seeing it honestly, that, I'm learning something, even if it's next time, you know, next time it's a little better, next time it's worse because it's a different circumstance. You just keep the faith that you're learning, you know, and seeing and trusting that something, something besides your little willpower is also trying, you know, your whole body and your whole life force wants to live and be happy and it's 
it's on your side, believe it or not, and it's working on trying to figure this out behind the scenes, as it were. So. No, um, one of the things that I discovered about anger, which I've had a lot of time to study, <laughs> uh, is that it hurts. It hurts me physically. And one of the things that happens is you become more sensitized. With each failure, you become more sensitized. Each time that it gets away from you, oh, and you begin to feel that more directly, and you begin to feel it physically. And what's interesting to me now is when I get angry, I feel it in my body before my mind cognitively says, I'm angry. I feel it first. And then it doesn't stop the anger, you understand. But I feel it, and I go, ow, I don't want that. And that I don't want that is a break. The anger may come right back, but I can still say, I don't want that. I don't want that. And so it, it, it's become a process of becoming disenchanted with the energy of the anger. Does that make sense? Because, because it's a, a flooding, right? Which, which is what makes it so hard to deal with. <laughs> so the, so the just noticing, just noticing, just noticing, trains the mind to say, ow, I don't want that. Um, so as I was listening to you, I was thinking that um, for me it's not so much anger that gets me, but anxiety. And and when anxiety arises, um, and I'm just thinking to be able to say, no, I don't want that, and find another way to look at it. Um, <clears throat> But I find it especially hard if I wake up with an anxiety, like 4 o'clock in the morning and something pops in my head. Um, <clears throat> you know, distraction is what works best then, although that may not be the ultimate mm-hmm. solution. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, you know, in the middle of the night, it's sometimes really hard to get clear, you know, to find that clarity that this is a phenomenon that's happening because we keep kind of getting pulled back into a dreamlike state, you know. So I found for a while that it helped to really sit up, if not get up out of bed, at least sit up in bed, you know, and fully wake up and realize, okay, you know, I'm, I'm in a state of mind here <laughs> of some sort, you know. And uh, I can, you know, just get clear and kind of fully wake up and then have a little more capacity to bring wisdom to it. And it may continue to be felt and feel really unpleasant, you know, but there's this real, such an interesting difference between relating to it as, okay, this is ongoing stomach upset, whatever, however you experience anxiety, tension, ongoing, you know, if it was just indigestion, you'd have a different relationship to it than that yoking it with the belief story you have around it. So you can see those two things separately. Okay, there's physical phenomenon and there's this obsession with a mental thing and keep trying to separate them out and see them as phenomenon even while you're sitting up in bed yeah okay we have a break
So let's take a break. I don't know why this whole day is unfolding like one big surprise to me. Like, oh, (laughs) I'm here. (laughs) My talk is over. We have a break. Okay. (laughs) All right. Let's take a break. And 10 minutes or so. And uh, come back and...